Okay, So I'm going to read this passage. This is the Word of God. It's inspired by Him, revealed by Him, and inspired and recorded for us to read today. Uh, and so I want to read it, and then we get to go through it. And, and, and my job is to just try to bring out, you know, we don't want to take what we think and cram it in. We want to bring out what the Word says. That's exegesis, okay? That's the Word we're looking for. And then we got to apply it to our lives, Are we still... Wasting some time here, all right? But what I've got to preach about is something that I'm always under conviction about. One of the biggest problems I've ever had since I was a little boy is my mouth. My mouth has gotten me into so much more trouble than the rest of my body can get me out of. It started when I learned to talk. And if mom and dad were here, dad would tell you that somehow or another, bad words just were like a magnet to me. They couldn't even understand where I was finding them and how I was skillful in using them at three, four, five years old. Uh, I would not keep my mouth shut. Even not so many years ago, uh, I was down visiting with my mom and dad and, and uh, the news had gone off and back then they were showing reruns of that TV show, Everybody Loves Raymond. Everybody seen, have you seen that? Yeah, and my mom just laughed. She said, that's so funny. She said, it just reminds me of you. I said, what? Yeah, I said, that guy, Raymond, he'll say something really dumb and, 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 and make his wife mad. And then guess what? He just keeps talking. He just keeps talking. That's what. And, you know, sometimes that's what I do. It's kind of like, you know, when you dig a hole, the thing you should do is stop digging. I just dig faster, right? But the Lord is working with me, and he's not done with me yet. So today, we've come to that passage in James. We're in chapter 3, uh, where we're talking about this. Taming the tongue. Now we have online notes. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, just go to in your menu and events and search for Hartville, Missouri, and you'll find us there. Or there's a link on our Facebook page, our Hartville Free Baptist Church Facebook page. You could go there. There's a link to online notes. So we're going we're gonna to throw in a few more. Listen, this could be a whole series, but we want to get on through the book of James, right? So um, we're going to kind of move right on here. But I like doing this where we go verse by verse because when the letter of James was delivered to the church, it wasn't that uh, the, 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 the ministers and the preachers and his Bible study groups, they didn't just pull out a, a paragraph here and there and talk about it. They started at the beginning and went all the way through. And that's what we're trying to do to build all of this together. We've already been learning that James is talking about a faith that works, about being real. And last week, we focused on that whole thing about faith and works. And he said, there's such thing as a fake faith. He says, you say you have faith, but there's no fruit to back it up. You say it. It's a said faith. It's not a genuine faith. But he said, I will show you my faith by the fruit that it produces. So that's real saving faith. We talked about that. Nowhere does true faith show up. Faith and works, you know, in how it works with our mouths. <laughs> okay. So will you read this with me? Um, and I don't always do this. I want to ask if you would like to stand while we read the word, would you stand with me? Uh, if you want to sit, it's not being irreverent. I'm just like, sometimes we want to do this. Not all the time, just, you know, but, but in honor of the reading of the word. So here's James chapter three, verse one. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, 
We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Father, we thank you for your word. Now I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding. Open our hearts. Help us to understand this. Help us to apply it by your power and your strength uh, to change our lives and to make us more like Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, I admitted my struggles with this. One time a pastor taught on this passage. And there was a woman there, a guy under conviction. She's one of the biggest gossips in town. And she came forward at the end to pray. And the pastor met her down there. And she said, Pastor, the Lord's really got me under conviction. I want to lay my tongue on the altar. Well, he was also one of the ones she gossiped about a lot. And he just said, well, ma'am, there's 20 feet of it here. We'll do our best. Right? (laughs) Uh, the, the, The Christians to whom James wrote were apparently having serious problems with their tongues, with their mouths. And when he speaks, of course, of the tongue here, he's talking about that little muscle that helps us form and speak words. But he's talking about more than just that. It's a symbol for the words that and the communication that we have, for the words that we speak or any type of communication that we have. So I think you understand that. He's already warned us. Have you noticed? This isn't like the first time this has come up. He's already warned us in chapter 1, verse 19, when he said that we're to be... Uh, If you remember, he said, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Remember that? He's also already told us in verse 26, speaking of religious stuff, now that has to do with outward piety. It has to do with what we're doing on the outside. He said that you claim to be all religious and everything, verse 20, what is that? Verse 26, he says, if anyone thinks he's religious, you do all this stuff on the outside, but if you don't bridle your tongue... He said, your religion's worthless. So it doesn't matter what all kind of good you're doing if you're not controlling this. So he's already told us that. And then he also reminded us in chapter 2, verse 12, that we are to so live. And I think it's uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Yeah, so live or so speak is what he said. So there it is. So speak and so act as those who remember that we're going to be judged according to the law of liberty. 
And then when you read passages like chapter 4, verse 1, which we'll come to, well, he talks about the quarrels and the conflicts and the fights that were going on among them. And in verse 11, he says, do not speak evil against one another, you guys. So it kind of sounds like they might have had some interesting gatherings, you know. Uh, it kind of sounds like a lot of things haven't changed. Especially when you live in a small town where we all know each other, right? Yes, I mean, I can even remember one time that Clarissa and I traded cars. And the person who bought the car, because we know each other by their cars, right? You know, you can't always see who's in there because there's glare. Uh, so I just wave at everybody because occasionally it's like, you got a new car, I didn't know it was you. And you say, you didn't even wave at me when I went by, you know, things like that. Uh, but we know people about it. But we sold the car, and um, I had to get up. We were in that old building back in those days. I had to actually get up and make a public announcement just so everybody knew that we had sold the car. That is not me at the liquor store. That's not me going there and going to these. I had to explain that who we sold the car to. And it's not me because, you know, there was already talk going on about that just you know people who were concerned right you know and I didn't spread the gospel I didn't I, did you tell them that that no I didn't tell them I just asked them had they heard it and then it's like they hadn't heard it but not, now they did so that's the kind of thing we got uh, and what's amazing is like the tongue or speech is mentioned in every chapter of James letter here and so as I said nowhere is a relationship between faith and works more evident than in our mouth, in our speech. Jesus actually uh, reminded us of this. He said in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, he said, I want to tell you something. I will, I'll tell you. And when he says, I'm going to tell you, it's kind of like when we're talking, if Jesus was hanging around the Ozarks, he would be saying, now I won't tell y'all what. <laughs> but that's kind of the thing. It wants to get your attention. I tell you. It's important. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified. And by your words you will be condemned. Uh, that's convicting. And that's powerful. I got to let that sink in. All these verses are in your notes that are online. Or uh, if you don't have that, write them down. Because we're going to throw a few more at you here in a minute. So we're going to look at this in just a few ways. First of all, he talks about the problem with the tongue. And then the power of the tongue. And then he, he mentions the perverseness of the tongue. And then we'll, we'll finish up with the the purpose, the, the true purpose uh, that God has for us. So the problem with the tongue, uh, he begins by warning them. It's kind of interesting. He starts this off by saying, not many of you should become teachers. Uh, that not everyone, actually very few of them need to be teachers. Why is this warning? Well, it implies that there may have been a problem with this. Because teachers use words. And um, being a teacher brings a little bit of a spotlight on you. True? So, I mean, why this morning? Being a teacher brings a bit of a spotlight on you. Uh, maybe even a little bit of prestige. Well, that's our teacher, right? If you're not careful, pride can sneak in. Can sneak right in there. Sometimes it sneak in the back door. You're not even watching for it. Uh, so that can be a problem. Uh, teaching involves the tongue the, or words. And incredible damage can be done if someone is teaching incorrectly or using it, using it as a platform to promote yourself or to attack someone else. It's very, uh, it, 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 it's, it's very important here we understand this because he wants these guys and he wants us to have the proper perspective about all of this. 
I mean, it's an honorable thing. One of the ministering gifts mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4 is that of pastor-teacher. And you know, those are linked in the original language so that if someone is a pastor, if you're a preacher, you need to be teaching something or else you're not a real preacher, right? If you're a pastor, you're shepherd-teacher. And, and, and he says that you got to have the right, it's a great responsibility, it's an honor, but you might want to think more carefully about desiring that. If you realize that teachers, including preachers, are going to, as he said, receive, be judged with a greater strictness. There's a greater judgment involved. Why is that? Well, because, like myself, I'm, can I just use me as an example? I may not be a great example, but at least I am one. Right? That's why I tell you guys, I've been here ministering in this church, and you've had to deal with me for over 32 years. Right? I was just 22 years old when I came here. So those who think I'm 60, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> how many of you were here when I first came? You remember it. Get your hand up, Wayne. <laughs> yeah, so there's quite a few of you still that are, you've dealt with it, right? And, you know, it's really hard to find pastors these days. Did you know that? So you guys haven't had to go through that process in a long, long time. But it's really difficult to find. So here's what I always try to tell you guys. You may not have much, but at least you got one, right? At least you do have one. But I'll use myself for an example. And that is God not only holds me accountable for what I do in life, but God holds me accountable for what I say, how I interact with you, and how I teach you. Because I'm, see, the thing about it is, you may like, I don't like this message. That's not my topic. I didn't like your style today. I, I really need to not care. Because you're not the one that I have to really give, I am responsible to you, don't get me wrong. But I don't have to really give the final account to you. Believe me, if I get off track, I'm thankful I've got a group of people that are going to pull me aside and say, now listen here, right? There has been a few occasions, okay? That, uh, there has been. So anyway, but my final account, I have to give an account to God. So whether you like it, don't like it, you know, and some people can say, well, I like that. I have no idea what that means because it may have to just do with personality where somebody says, I like Fords, I like Chevys, I like Dodges, right? It's just a preference type thing there. I don't know. But what I want to do is to do what Paul said is rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. But I, have, I will have to give an account to God for what I've taught you. Where, if I haven't taught you correctly, hey, I'll have to even give account for the words that I didn't say that I should have said. So it's a heavy, heavy, and that's why I don't take it lightly. That's why many times I feel that burden of everything because it's not just you. I don't want to just let you down. I don't want to let the Lord down because I'm going to have to answer to him for all of this. So when you teach, you have to use words. So be careful. But teachers aren't the only ones that need to be careful. Amen? Because he goes right on in verse 2 and he says, we all stumble in many ways. Amen. Uh, you agree? Yeah. We all, all of us stumble in a whole lot of different ways. But he says this is like one of the big ways. This is like one of the main ways. There's a built-in problem with our fallenness. As we are, we were sinfulness. Adam and Eve sin that the whole earth and flesh, our flesh, humanity, was cursed by sin. So even though you're saved, and he's writing to brothers and sisters here, even though you're saved, you need to know that the new you still lives in this old flesh, 
And this old flesh isn't going to be redeemed. It's going to be destroyed. We're, either, we're going to be delivered. He's going to give us a new. Remember he said flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. We got to live in this flesh, make the most out of it. But he's going to give us a new body one of these days. It's going to be perfect, right? We're going to be made perfect body, soul, and spirit one of these days. But even though your, your, your soul has been saved, you know, your spirit has passed from death to life. You've been justified. Your soul is saved, being saved, sanctification. And, but one of these days, you're going to, we're going to be made completely perfect and be beyond all this. We'll be not in a sin-cursed body, in a sin-cursed world. But right now, we live in a sin-cursed world among sin-cursed people. And in a sin-cursed flesh. And part of that sin-cursed flesh is affected is the tongue. Well, it goes down to the core of our hearts, but it comes out there. And so one of the biggest problems that any of us have is with this. None of us are as perfect as Christ yet, are we? In everything we do and say. So we're still growing. Uh, So we may stumble in a whole lot of ways, but this right here, he says in verse 2, if you can just not stumble in what you say, you're mature, you're perfect, and you're able to uh, control your whole body. In other words, if you have discipline here with what you say, you can have discipline with everything. So that tells you this is like one of the core things, one of the more difficult things, okay? So are we on the same page? We understand what he's getting at here uh, because of this problem. This, if we have discipline here, it, it, we, we can have discipline with everything. In fact, he tells us in verse 6 that our tongue, our speech is a world of unright, a whole world of iniquity or unrighteousness. Uh, there are some, listen to this, there are some sins that a person might think about but not be able to fully commit because they lack opportunity. Whether that's lust or whether that's greed or whether you're so mad you could choke someone but you really can't quite get to them to choke them. Huh? You, you, you understand what I'm saying? So there are some sins that you may have in your heart that you don't have full opportunity to commit. But there are no limits to what one can say and the damage that it can do. You can say anything. And so when he's talking, as I said, about the tongue, he means the mouth and what comes out of it. The tongue, as I said, is a symbol. I just want to remind you that because this would also include not just words we say, but words we write. So what other things could be involved in this? What we write, social media. Whatever you post, comment, tweet, or email can be Included in this. And we're living in a day where it's just way too easy to get stuff out there. And the whole world can see it. I mean, think about it. Right now, we can gossip and we can slander and we can promote ourselves. And we can do all of this at the speed of light all around the world. I still think it's neat that I can post something or I can send an email or or a text or something. And I have friends who are working and serving the Lord uh, all the way around the planet. And and just like instantly almost, they get it. They they see it. It, it, The communication. I mean, we're living in the last days, folks. We are. But but think about the the, the damage that the enemy does with this. So I want to say this, that in realizing what we're talking about here, it will include that. And we need to pray God for discipline And we need to exercise that and let him uh, discipline us and give us strength and think twice. And once you think, think a little bit and and submit to him about what we're saying and what we're posting and what we're commenting and what we're liking or not liking or what we're tweeting or whatever else we do out there. Okay. Uh, 
Now, so that's the problem. We agree there's a problem. He's shown us there's a problem. With our, connected with our sinfulness, our fallenness, with our corrupt communication, with our tongue. But then we we'll talk about the power of the tongue. A couple of things here. First of all, he talks about the power to direct. Because he says, you put bits in, you put bits in this horse's mouth. And it's just a little bitty, you know, and I grew up, you know, uh, riding horses. And uh, always had a horse that I could ride. From, and, and, and Shetland ponies are some of the meanest animals in the world. If they were bigger, there's no telling what they would do. But I had this little Shetland pony. And, you know, I was five years old. I would go out there. And I remember I got to name one of them. I was five years old. And I got to name my new pony. For some reason, at age five, I named him liver. I don't know why. I still don't know why. But even after we sold him and somebody after me bought him and even took him to horse shows and stuff, his name remained liver. And then we got another one and it was a female and uh, me and my brother named her, well, our last name's Moon. So we named her Moonshine and Moonshine went on to live a contrary mean life for all her days. Uh, I mean, you know, she just like, uh, but, but there's times if you were going somewhere, she'd fight you the whole way. And then as soon as you turn back to head back toward the barn, she would almost run. And I'm like, I'm not going to let you run. But because of that bits in her mouth, you know, it's like you can get control. Even though she was bigger than me, I, you pull back on that rein and that bit, they can't hold it. And you turn their head all the way around like that. She's either going to stop or buck you off. Uh, you can control. But it's amazing to me how with a little bit in the mouth, he's this illustration that, that you can direct this horse. Make it go where you want, want it to go. And he uses the illustration of these great old big ships out there. And this great old big ship, this small rudder moves. Guess what? It moves that whole big ship. And of course, back then they were powered by wind. But even now, the same principle is true. This small rudder guides this entire thing. And so he's making a point. The tongue has power to direct. That small member of your body can direct your whole life and relationships. Amen? They used to have a saying during World War II. I saw a picture of an old poster because they worried about, you know, things. Uh, it said, some of you, well, there wouldn't be many of you. Daryl might remember. But anyway, during World War II, it said, loose lips sink ships. You know, I mean, just our, our media today needs to hear that, okay? Uh, loose lips sink ships. Well, uh, you could say today, loose lips destroy lives and relationships, and et cetera, et cetera. So let's get a little wisdom from the Bible. Like I said, we could do a whole series just on this, but in studying this, and we'll pull up a few. So we go to Proverbs, and we find out that in Proverbs, it says in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life, okay, death and life, that's like the whole thing, right, are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruits. Well, uh, if you love talking, Lord, help me. I, that was just a personal prayer that I had to do right there. You're going to get to eat the fruit from what you say. So is it going to be good or is it going to be bad? Okay, let's move on. Proverbs 15.1, he says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. So it's like, you know, understanding and asking wisdom for, you know, this has to do with acceleration and deceleration, okay? And, and, and so not just your words, but did you catch this? The Bible's trying to explain to, this to us thousands of years ago, that even your tone, because sometimes it's not necessarily the words, it's the tone, 
right, we're going to talk more about this tonight in our, our fellowship Bible study that we have in the fellowship hall. So y'all all come out, 6 o'clock. We're going to have some food and some stuff like that. We're going to hear a little bit from Francis Chan on this, and, and we're going to talk a little more about all these things. This is fun. We're going to, but, but it's, it's fun but painful, right? Okay, uh, no pain, no gain. Uh, we're going to learn and grow together, right? Okay, good. But even our tone. But you can, you gotta, there's so much we can learn here. How that, you know, not just what you say, but how you say it can either accelerate or you can decelerate uh, the conflict or whatever it may be. Lord, help me to remember this tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? Okay. I know you were praying with me. I saw your lips move. Psalm 141.3. David said this. Oh, See, if you don't know what to pray, just open the Psalms and just read them as prayers. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I need the Lord there as the sentinel. Nope, you're not getting out here. (laughs) Right? Right? I need that. That's a prayer. It's a real prayer that some of us really need to pray. He goes on, and we can go to pull some words of Jesus because Jesus let us know. It's, oops, sorry about that. It's not, just, it's not just your physical mouth, but it represents what's in your heart. Because he tells us in Matthew 12, 34, the last part of that verse, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's really coming out of your heart. And uh, that's why this is so serious and so important. Never underestimate the power of words that you speak. There are many of you that are adults and you're still wounded and you're still uh, carrying things in some, you know, of of spiritual encouragement and counseling, whether it's of of whatever sort. This so often comes up that things that people would say, they didn't mean it when they said it, but yet you were damaged by words as a kid, whether it was a parent or a coach or a teacher or or whatever, uh, even a Sunday school teacher that, you know, um, I used to get in trouble in Sunday school class a lot. But I'm thankful that I had good teachers that tried to encourage me, uh, 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 you know, uh, and it's two things, be quiet. No, three, okay, three things, okay, three, <laughs> you know how the Bible says, two, yay, even three things. <laughs> be quiet, sit still, that's included with that is set down, sit still, and Number three, put your thinking cap on. I, I always, that always just made me chuckle, thinking cap. Okay, hold on. I'm ready. People told me that all my life, and I bring it up from time to time, don't I? Put your thinking cap on. All right, so let's do that. Um, I need to process and understand the power of these words and how they can affect you through the years. And hang on. But I also want, is that we got to pray for guidance, right? For those words. And how about this, words we fail to speak. I mean, there's some of you, and you need to realize you do have a gift. And, you know, there, there, I'm telling tell you, there, there are some people that when they do say something, I, I, I tend to listen because, you know, some of us, some, you know, it comes out of the heart, I know. But some of us, we don't even know what we're thinking until we hear it fly right out of our mouths, right? Right? Um, you remember when we went to New Guinea and they spoke pigeon over there, uh, the, the nickname? And I try to think back, Scott, Galen, Anjanette, you guys. I try to Dave. I try to think back. Did this really start with the nationals there in New Guinea or did it start with you guys? Because somehow I got the nickname Mazwara. 
And that's pigeon, which is a, a kind of a trade language for someone whose mouth runs like water. <laughs> and, and that they gave me that nickname. But, you know, when thinking back, it may have been that Galen, Dave, some of you guys said, hey, what do, you, what do y'all call somebody that talks all the time? And they said, mouth's water. Okay, good. And then, <laughs> so that may be how, they, you know, I was hurt by that. No, I wasn't. I really wasn't. Oh, man. Uh, so, but there's some that, that, uh, uh, that have the opposite, you know, it's like um, somebody would tell me if we're together, say, let Scott Keith talk a little bit, okay, right? Um, <laughs> but when Scott says something, it's probably going to be worth hearing, right? You got to filter out a lot of mine. Uh, but there are things that we say, say th- things that we fail to say sometimes that we should have said. So I think about that as well. Uh, think about how Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls came to Christ. On April the 11th, 1855, Edward Kimball walked into a Boston shoe store and he spoke to a young man there. He just said some simple words to a young man about Jesus. Well, this young man ended up coming to Christ and his name was Dwight L. Moody and God used him to reach untold thousands for Christ. And it started from some simple words that a guy told him in the shoe store. So think about the power to direct our lives, but also think about the power that it has to not only direct, but also destroy. And he uses illustrations for that too. So he says in verse 5, he says, So also the tongue is a small member, but it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. So he uses an illustration of a wildfire. And then later he uses an illustration of wild animals. But there's power to destroy. Right now there are horrible forest fires that are wildfires as we say that are just destroying so much territory a place that we love to go out in central and north central New Mexico is just like on fire right now Uh, Carson National Forest is shut down right now and a lot of these fires start in different ways I know but you know right now they're saying in some of these areas that aren't on fire that they've got all these restrictions because one spark from exhaust from an engine could start another wildfire, one cigarette, one just anything like that. Uh, They are careful not to mow any of the grass that had grown previously because any spark from a blade hitting a rock can start a forest fire. So one tiny spark can damage hundreds of thousands of acres. And that's an illustration that he uses with the tongue. It's small, but it can cause so much trouble. Uh, go back to uh, Proverbs. Proverbs twenty six twenty says, "For lack of wood, the fire goes out." So there's this principle of fire. If there's no fuel, the fire will burn itself out. It has to have fuel. Then he says, "And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases." Some translations translate that as a gossiper. <laughs> They're always. Some people call those folks swizzle sticks. They're always stirring stuff up. Right? Yeah, it's easy to do. Easy to do. Some of us have natural ability to do that. But if there's no, you take the gospel out, everybody's just going, we we get along a whole lot better. Uh, That's what he's saying there. And then in Psalm 39, 1, it says, I will guard my ways. Why? I'm going to guard all my ways. What's one of the big goals of that? That I might not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. You know how they would muzzle an animal so they wouldn't eat the food going by? You know, he says, like, I need to put a muzzle. Um, and haven't I heard that from time to time? Put a muzzle on it. 
Um, you know, and people all my life, so I'm just saying this is real for me. All my life, people have been spewing air at me. You know? When has it ever worked? Come on, really. So many in my family do that. My grandkids, the oldest two are seven, are already, shh, papa, shh. I'm getting shushed by my grandkids already. You know, but they're not wise enough to discern. Some of it is actually wise words they maybe should listen to. Some of it's not. Anyway, sometimes I have to put a muzzle on it. It's not easy to do. Amen? Some of you can identify. I feel your pain. Yeah, not easy. I mean, there's times you can literally feel like you're going to explode. They're so wrong. I've got to correct this. My dad used to use psychology on me when I was a kid. Because <sighs> he would say, son, don't tell everything you know. If you tell everything you know, everyone else in the world will be smarter than you. Why? Because they know what they know. Plus, they'll know everything you know because you told them. Set on some of it. So anyway, muzzle. Especially as long as the wicked are in my presence. Now, there's folks that don't know the Lord. I need to be really careful what I say. Amen? God help us with this. Let's move on. He says the tongue is a whole world of iniquity. The fire spreads, and the more fuel you give it, the more and the faster it spreads. Your entire life can be injured by words that are spoken by others or by yourself or written or posted or whatever. There's so much cyberbullying and even stuff like that going on now. But there's often, besides with a fire causing damage, there's often collateral damage where you may have a fire somewhere, but even things nearby that weren't actually touched by the fire might have smoke damage and, and suffer because of it. So there's collateral damage that goes around. So how many relationships, marriages, families have been fractured by words that were said or lies that were told? That's why he says in verse 6, it sets on fire it says, it's a world, a tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, he says. That fire, it sets on fire the whole course of life. The word translated course is one that often refers to a wheel or tracks made by a wheel. And the word for life or nature in some has to do with Genesis or Genesis. And, and, and it has to do with life itself. And so one could say that it affects the whole wheel or the whole track of life. Remember the old saying? Sticks and stones. Hmm? You know it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There's a Greek word for that. Baloney. I mean, really, whoever came up with that? Because there are a lot of times 
that you get beat with a stick or hit with a stone, that those broken bones or, or scars or bruises will, in fact, heal. But some of the wounds from words that are deep in our soul, how do you put a bandage on it? And they might not ever heal if we don't get the right help from God. He says it is set on fire by hell. Did you get that? He's referring to Gehenna, that that garbage dump outside of town that Jesus, Jesus used it as an illustration of separation from God, of eternal punishment and things like that. Uh, and the verb here is set on fire by hell, and the Greek is present active. Uh, and um, it's used here as a synonym. It's used here as a synonym for, for Satan and his demons. The tongue is, is used as, Satan will use it as his tool, fulfilling hell's purposes to pollute and corrupt and destroy. He also uses the example of wild animals in, in verse uh, 7. Um, he's uh, going on about uh, all kinds of beasts and birds and reptiles and sea creatures have been tamed and have been tamed by mankind. I mean, it's probably not easy. And, and you know, I've never been one that actually wanted a pet snake or anything like that. I know people that's had them. I just think, well, anyway, see, I'm already doing that. Ooh, ooh. Uh, but they tame, they charm snakes. They, they and I love going and watching, not just dolphins, but those, those um, killer whales. That's, that's a bad nickname for them. I, but orca, right? Is that it? Huh? Uh, you never know when you need to help. So come on, jump in here. Um, that they train them to do all kinds of neat stuff. So we've been able to do that. So it's amazing what we've been able to accomplish with all these wild animals, and tigers and lions and even bears. Thank you.